Section twenty five of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Little Hero by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part two. Next day. Early in the morning, I was summoned to a rehearsal of some tableau vivant in which I had to take part. The tableau vivant, theatricals, and afterwards a dance were all fixed for the same evening, five days later, the birthday of our host's younger daughter. To this entertainment, which was almost improvised, another hundred guests were invited from Moscow and from surrounding villas, so that there was a great deal of fuss, bustle, and commotion. The rehearsal, or rather review of the costumes, was fixed so early in the morning because our manager, a well-known artist, a friend of our host's, who had consented through affection for him to undertake the arrangement of the tableau and the training of us for them, was in haste now to get to Moscow to purchase properties and to make final preparations for the fete, as there was no time to lose. I took part in one tableau, with madame m it was a scene from medieval life and was called the lady of the castle and her page i felt unutterably confused on meeting madame m at the rehearsal i kept feeling that she would at once read in my eyes all the reflections the doubts the surmises that had arisen in my mind since the previous day i fancied too that i was as it were to blame in regard to her for having come upon her tears the day before and hindered her grieving so that she could hardly help looking at me askance as an unpleasant witness and unforgiven sharer of her secret but thank goodness it went off without any great trouble i was simply not noticed i think she had no thoughts to spare for me or for the rehearsal she was absent-minded sad and gloomily thoughtful it was evident that she was worried by some great anxiety. As soon as my part was over, I ran away to change my clothes, and ten minutes later came out on the veranda into the garden. Almost at the same time, Madame M. came out by another door, and immediately afterwards, coming towards us, appeared her self-satisfied husband, who was returning from the garden after just escorting into it quite a crowd of ladies, and there handing them over, to a competent cavaliere servant. The meeting of the husband and wife was evidently unexpected. Madame M., I don't know why, grew suddenly confused, and a faint trace of vexation was betrayed in her impatient movement. The husband, who had been carelessly whistling an air, and with an air of profundity stroking his whiskers, now, on meeting his wife, frowned and scrutinized her as I remember now, with a markedly inquisitorial stare. "'You are going into the garden?' he asked, noticing the parasol and book in her hand. "'No, into the copse,' she said with a slight flush. "'Alone?' "'With him,' said Madame M., pointing to me. "'I always go a walk alone in the morning,' she added, speaking in an uncertain, hesitating voice, as people do when they tell their first lie. Hmm, and I have just taken the whole party there. They have all met there together in the flower arbor to see Monsieur N. off. 
He is going away, you know. Something has gone wrong in Odessa. Your cousin, he meant the fair beauty, is laughing and crying at the same time. There was no making her out. She says, though, that you are angry with Monsieur N. about something, and so wouldn't go and see him off. Nonsense, of course. She's laughing, said Madame M., coming down the veranda steps. So this is your daily cavalieri servant, added Monsieur M., with a wry smile, turning his lorgnette upon me. Page, I cried, angered by the lorgnette and the jeer, and laughing straight in his face, I jumped down the three steps of the veranda at one bound. A pleasant walk, muttered Monsieur M., and went on his way. Of course, I immediately joined Madame M. as soon as she indicated me to her husband, and looked as though she had invited me to do so an hour before, and as though I had been accompanying her on her walks every morning for the last month. But I could not make out why she was so confused, so embarrassed, and what was in her mind when she brought herself to have recourse to her little lie. Why had she not simply said that she was going alone? I did not know how to look at her, but overwhelmed with wonder, I began by degrees very naively peeping into her face. But just as an hour before at the rehearsal, she did not notice either my looks or my mute question. The same anxiety, only more intense and more distinct, was apparent in her face, in her agitation, in her walk. She was in haste and walked more and more quickly, and kept looking uneasily down every avenue down every path in the wood that led in the direction of the garden. And I, too, was expecting something. Suddenly there was the sound of horses' hoofs behind us. It was the whole party of ladies and gentlemen, on horseback, escorting Monsieur N., the gentleman who was so suddenly deserting us. Among the ladies was my fair tormentor, of whom Madame M. had told us that she was in tears. But characteristically, she was laughing like a child, and was galloping briskly on a splendid bay horse. On reaching us, Monsieur N. took off his hat, but did not stop, nor say one word to Madame M. Soon all the cavalcade disappeared from our sight. I glanced at Madame M. and almost cried out in wonder. She was standing as white as a handkerchief, and big tears were gushing from her eyes. By chance our eyes met. Madame M. suddenly flushed and turned away for an instant, and a distinct look of uneasiness and vexation flitted across her face. I was in the way, worse even than last time. That was clearer than day. But how was I to get away? And as though guessing my difficulty, Madame M. opened the book which she had in her hand, and coloring and evidently trying not to look at me, she said, as though she had only suddenly realized it, Ah, it is the second part. I've made a mistake. Please bring me the first. I could not but understand. My part was over, and I could not have been more directly dismissed. I ran off with her book, and did not come back. The first part lay undisturbed on the table that morning. But I was not myself. In my heart there was a sort of haunting terror. I did my utmost not to meet Madame M., but I looked with wild curiosity at the self-satisfied person of Monsieur M., 
as though there must be something special about him now. I don't understand what was the meaning of my absurd curiosity. I only remember that I was strangely perplexed by all that I had chanced to see that morning. But the day was only just beginning, and it was fruitful in events for me. Dinner was very early that day. An expedition to a neighboring hamlet to see a village festival that was taking place there had been fixed for the evening, and so it was necessary to be in time to get ready. I had been dreaming for the last three days of this excursion, anticipating all sorts of delights. Almost all the company gathered together on the veranda for coffee. I cautiously followed the others and concealed myself behind the third row of chairs. I was attracted by curiosity, and yet I was very anxious not to be seen by Madame M. But as luck would have it, I was not far from my fair tormentor. Something miraculous and incredible was happening to her that day. She looked twice as handsome. I don't know how and why this happens, but such miracles are by no means rare with women. There was with us at this moment a new guest, a tall, pale-faced young man, the official admirer of our fair beauty, who had just arrived from Moscow, as though on purpose, to replace Monsieur N., of whom rumor said that he was desperately in love with the same lady. As for the newly arrived guest, he had, for a long time past, been on the same terms as Benedict with Beatrice, in Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. In short, the fair beauty was in her very best form that day. Her chatter and her jests were so full of grace, so trustfully naive, so innocently careless, that she was persuaded of the general enthusiasm, with such graceful self-confidence, that she really was all the time the center of peculiar adoration. A throng of surprised and admiring listeners was continually round her, and she had never been so fascinating. Every word she uttered was marvelous and seductive, was caught up and handed round in the circle, and not one word, one jest, one sally was lost. I fancy no one had expected from her such taste, such brilliance, such wit. Her best qualities were, as a rule, buried under the most harum-scarum willfulness, the most schoolboyish pranks, almost verging on buffoonery. They were rarely noticed, and when they were, were hardly believed in, so that now her extraordinary brilliancy was accompanied by an eager whisper of amazement among all. There was, however, one peculiar and rather delicate circumstance, judging at least by the part in it played by Madame M.'s husband, which contributed to her success. The madcap ventured, and I must add to the satisfaction of almost everyone, or at any rate to the satisfaction of all the young people, to make a furious attack upon him, owing to many causes, probably of great consequence in her eyes. She carried on with him a regular crossfire of witticisms, of mocking and sarcastic sallies, of that most elusive and treacherous kind, that smoothly wrapped up on the surface, hit the mark without giving the victim anything to lay hold of, and exhaust him in fruitless efforts to repel the attack reducing him to fury and comic despair. I don't know for certain, but I fancy the whole proceeding was not improvised, but premeditated. This desperate duel had begun earlier at dinner. I call it desperate because Monsieur M. was not quick to surrender. 
he had to call upon all his presence of mind all his sharp wit and rare resourcefulness not to be completely covered with ignominy the conflict was accompanied by the continual and irrepressible laughter of all who witnessed and took part in it that day was for him very different from the day before it was noticeable that madame m several times did her utmost to stop her indiscreet friend who was certainly trying to depict the jealous husband in the most grotesque and absurd guise in the guise of a bluebeard it must be supposed judging from all probabilities from what has remained in my memory and finally from the part which i myself was destined to play in the affair i was drawn into it in a most absurd manner quite unexpectedly and as ill luck would have it at that moment i was standing where i could be seen suspecting no evil and actually forgetting the precautions i had so long practised suddenly i was brought into the foreground as a sworn foe and natural rival of m m as desperately in love with his wife of which my persecutress vowed and swore that she had proofs saying that only that morning she had seen in the copse but before she had time to finish i broke in at the most desperate minute that minute was so diabolically calculated was so treacherously prepared to lead up to its finale its ludicrous denouement and was brought out with such killing humor that a perfect outburst of irrepressible mirth saluted this last sally and though even at the time i guessed that mine was not the most unpleasant part in the performance yet i was so confused so irritated and alarmed that full of misery and despair gasping with shame and tears i dashed through two rows of chairs stepped forward and addressing my tormentor cried in a voice broken with tears and indignation aren't you ashamed aloud before all the ladies to tell such a wicked lie like a small child before all these men what will they say a big girl like you and married but i could not go on there was a deafening roar of applause my outburst created a perfect furor my naive gesture my tears and especially the fact that i seemed to be defending m m all this provoked such fiendish laughter that even now i cannot help laughing at the mere recollection of it i was overcome with confusion senseless with horror and burning with shame hiding my face in my hands rushed away knocked a tray out of the hands of a footman who was coming in at the door and flew upstairs to my own room i pulled out the key which was on the outside of the door and locked myself in i did well for there was a hue and cry after me before a minute had passed my door was besieged by a mob of the prettiest ladies i heard their ringing laughter their incessant chatter their trilling voices they were all twittering at once like swallows all of them every one of them begged and besought me to open the door if only for a moment swore that no harm should come to me only that they wanted to smother me with kisses but what could be more horrible than this novel threat i simply burned with shame the other side of the door hiding my face in the pillows and did not open did not even respond the ladies kept up their knocking for a long time but i was deaf and obdurate as only a boy of eleven could be but what could i do now everything was laid bare everything had been exposed everything i had so jealously guarded and concealed everlasting disgrace and shame had fallen on me 
but it is true that i could not myself have said why i was frightened and what i wanted to hide yet i was frightened of something and had trembled like a leaf at the thought of that something's being discovered only till that minute i had not known what it was whether it was good or bad splendid or shameful praiseworthy or reprehensible now in my distress in the misery that had been forced upon me i learned that it was absurd and shameful instinctively i felt at the same time that this verdict was false inhuman and coarse but i was crushed annihilated consciousness seemed checked in me and thrown into confusion i could not stand up against that verdict nor criticize it properly i was befogged i only felt that my heart had been inhumanly and shamelessly wounded and was brimming over with impotent tears i was irritated but i was boiling with indignation and hate such as i had never felt before for it was the first time in my life that i had known real sorrow insult and injury and it was truly that without any exaggeration the first untried unformed feeling had been so coarsely handled in me a child the first vagrant virginal modesty had been so soon exposed and insulted and the first and perhaps very real and aesthetic impression had been so outraged of course there was much my persecutors did not know and did not divine in my sufferings one circumstance which i had not succeeded in analyzing till then of which i had been as it were afraid partly entered into it i went on lying on my bed in despair and misery hiding my face in my pillow and i was alternately feverish and shivery i was tormented by two questions first what had the wretched fair beauty seen and in fact what could she have seen that morning in the copse between madame m and me and secondly how could i now look madame m in the face without dying on the spot of shame and despair an extraordinary noise in the yard roused me at last from the state of semi-consciousness into which i had fallen i got up and went to the window the whole yard was packed with carriages saddle horses and bustling servants it seemed that they were all setting off some of the gentlemen had already mounted their horses others were taking their places in the carriages then i remembered the expedition to the village fete and little by little an uneasiness came over me i began anxiously looking for my pony in the yard but there was no pony there so they must have forgotten me i could not restrain myself and rushed headlong downstairs thinking no more of unpleasant meetings or my recent ignominy terrible news awaited me there was neither a horse nor seat in any of the carriages to spare for me everything had been arranged all the seats were taken and i was forced to give place to others overwhelmed by this fresh blow i stood on the steps and looked mournfully at the long rows of coaches carriages and chaises in which there was not the tiniest corner left for me and at the smartly dressed ladies whose horses were restlessly curvetting one of the gentlemen was late they were only waiting for his arrival to set off his horse was standing at the door champing the bit pawing the earth with his hoofs and at every moment starting and rearing two stable boys were carefully holding him by the bridle and every one else apprehensively stood at a respectful distance from him 
a most vexatious circumstance had occurred which prevented my going in addition to the fact that new visitors had arrived filling up all the seats two of the horses had fallen ill one of them being my pony but i was not the only person to suffer it appeared that there was no horse for our new visitor the pale-faced young man of whom i have spoken already to get over this difficulty our host had been obliged to have recourse to the extreme step of offering his fiery unbroken stallion adding to satisfy his conscience that it was impossible to ride him and that they had long intended to sell the beast for its vicious character if only a purchaser could be found but in spite of his warning the visitor declared that he was a good horseman and in any case ready to mount anything rather than not go our host said no more but now i fancied that a sly and ambiguous smile was straying on his lips he waited for the gentleman who had spoken so well of his own horsemanship and stood without mounting his horse impatiently rubbing his hands and continually glancing towards the door some similar feelings seemed shared by the two stable boys who were holding the stallion almost breathless with pride at seeing themselves before the whole company in charge of a horse which might any minute kill a man for no reason whatever something akin to their master's sly smile gleamed too in their eyes which were round with expectation and fixed upon the door from which the bold visitor was to appear the horse himself too behaved as though he were in league with our host and the stable boys he bore himself proudly and haughtily as though he felt that he were being watched by several dozen curious eyes and were glorying in his evil reputation exactly as some incorrigible rogue might glory in his criminal exploits he seemed to be defying the bold man who had ventured to curb his independence that bold man did at last make his appearance conscious stricken at having kept everyone waiting hurriedly drawing on his gloves he came forward without looking at anything ran down the steps and only raised his eyes as he stretched out his hand to seize the mane of the waiting horse but he was at once disconcerted by his frantic rearing and a warning scream from the frightened spectators the young man stepped back and looked in perplexity at the vicious horse which was quivering all over snorting with anger and rolling his bloodshot eyes ferociously continually rearing on his hind legs and flinging up his forelegs as though he meant to bolt into the air and carry the two stable boys with him for a minute the young man stood completely nonplussed then flushing slightly with some embarrassment he raised his eyes and looked at the frightened ladies a very fine horse he said as though to himself and to my thinking it ought to be a great pleasure to ride him but but do you know i think i won't go he concluded turning to our host with a broad good-natured smile which so suited his kind and clever face yet i consider you are an excellent horseman i assure you answered the owner of the unapproachable horse delighted and he warmly and even gratefully pressed the young man's hand just because from the first moment you saw the sort of brute you had to deal with he added with dignity would you believe me though i have served twenty-three years in the hussars yet i've had the pleasure of being laid on the ground three times thanks to that beast that is as often as i mounted the useless animal tancred my boy there's no one here fit for you your rider it seems must be some ilya muromets and he must be sitting quiet now in the village of capachorovo waiting for your teeth to fall out 
Come, take him away. He has frightened people enough. It was a waste of time to bring him out, he cried, rubbing his hands complacently. It must be observed that Tancred was no sort of use to his master, and simply ate corn for nothing. Moreover, the old hussar had lost his reputation for a knowledge of horseflesh by paying a fabulous sum for the worthless beast, which he had purchased only for his beauty. Yet he was delighted now that Tancred had kept up his reputation, had disposed of another rider, and had so drawn closer on himself fresh senseless laurels. So you are not going, cried the blonde beauty, who was particularly anxious that her cavalier servant should be in attendance upon this occasion. Surely you are not frightened? Upon my word, I am, answered the young man. Are you in earnest? Why, do you want me to break my neck? Then make haste and get on my horse. Don't be afraid, it is very quiet. We won't delay them. They can change the saddles in a minute. I'll try to take yours. Surely Tancred can't always be so unruly. No sooner said than done, the madcap leaped out of the saddle and was standing before us as she finished the last sentence. You don't know Tancred if you think he will allow your wretched side-saddle to be put on him. Besides, I would not let you break your neck. It would be a pity, said our host, at that moment of inward gratification affecting, as his habit was, a studied brusqueness and even coarseness of speech, which he thought in keeping with a jolly good fellow and an old soldier and which he imagined to be particularly attractive to the ladies. This was one of his favorite fancies, his favorite whim, with which we were all familiar. Well, crybaby, wouldn't you like to have a try? You wanted so much to go, said the valiant horsewoman, noticing me and pointing tauntingly at Tancred, because I had been so imprudent as to catch her eye, and she would not let me go without a biting word that she might not have dismounted from her horse absolutely for nothing. I expect you are not such a... We all know you are a hero, and would be ashamed to be afraid, especially when you will be looked at, you fine page, she added with a fleeting glance at Madame M., whose carriage was the nearest to the entrance. A rush of hatred and vengeance had flooded my heart when the fair Amazon had approached us with the intention of mounting Tancred but I cannot describe what I felt at this unexpected challenge from the madcap. Everything was dark before my eyes when I saw her glance at Madame M. For an instant an idea flashed through my mind, but it was only a moment, less than a moment, like a flash of gunpowder. Perhaps it was the last straw, and I suddenly now was moved to rage as my spirit rose, so that I longed to put all my enemies to utter confusion, and to revenge myself on all of them, and before everyone, by showing the sort of person I was, or whether by some miracle, some prompting from medieval history, of which I had known nothing till then, sent whirling through my giddy brain images of tournaments, paladins, heroes, lovely ladies, the clash of swords, shouts, and the applause of the crowd, and amidst those shouts the timid cry of a frightened heart, which moves the proud soul more sweetly than victory and fame. I don't know whether all this romantic nonsense was in my head at the time, or whether, more likely, only the first dawning of the inevitable nonsense that was in store for me in the future. Anyway, I felt that my hour had come. My heart leaped and shuddered, and I don't remember how, at one bound I was down the steps and beside Tancred, 
you think i am afraid i cried boldly and proudly in such a fever that i could hardly see breathless with excitement and flushing till the tears scalded my cheeks well you shall see and clutching at tancred's mane i put my foot in the stirrup before they had time to make a movement to stop me but at that instant tancred reared jerked his head and with a mighty bound forward wrenched himself out of the hands of the petrified stable boys and dashed off like a hurricane while every one cried out in horror goodness knows how i got my other leg over the horse while it was in full gallop i can't imagine either how i did not lose hold of the reins tancred bore me beyond the trellis gate turned sharply to the right and flew along beside the fence regardless of the road only at that moment i heard behind me a shout from fifty voices and that shout was echoed in my swooning heart with such a feeling of pride and pleasure that i shall never forget that mad moment of my boyhood all the blood rushed to my head bewildering me and overpowering my fears i was beside myself there certainly was as i remember it now something of the knight errant about the exploit my knightly exploits however were all over in an instant or it would have gone badly with the knight and indeed i do not know how i escaped as it was i did know how to ride i had been taught but my pony was more like a sheep than a riding horse no doubt i should have been thrown off tancred if he had had time to throw me but after galloping fifty paces he suddenly took fright at a huge stone which lay across the road and bolted back he turned sharply galloping at full speed so that it is a puzzle to me even now that i was not sent spinning out of the saddle and flying like a ball for twenty feet that i was not dashed to pieces and that tancred did not dislocate his leg by such a sudden turn he rushed back to the gate tossing his head furiously bounding from side to side as though drunk with rage flinging his legs at random in the air and at every leap trying to shake me off his back as though a tiger had leapt on him and were thrusting its teeth and claws into his back. End of part two.